Welcome, students. Welcome, those of you listening on the internet. Welcome to SUM Chicago Cohort Chapel. Um, today, we will be speaking about problems plaguing Christian millennials, how the issues of millennial, the millennial generation overall is kind of infiltrating the church, infiltrating uh, people within that age group. We're going to look at, number one, the lack of discipleship, number two, the lack of biblical morals, and number three, the lack of biblical doctrine. We'll also be looking at uh, the biblical prescription for these problems, which is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to look at the balanced diet of Scripture, and it's going to be uh, rather amazing. Amen? And so, uh, looking forward to this afternoon's chapel. What did you guys get out of last week? What kind of nuggies? What was the number one takeaway when we did part one of this lesson? Yes, I, I know what you're referring to. Research was done, uh, and, and the comment made by Julian was that many profess to be Christian, yet do not have a biblical worldview. So you see that those are actually can be two different things. Just saying I'm a Christian does not actually make you one. The worldview is vital, and you're referring to some research done by Barna, uh, George Barna, that 9% of professing Christians in America even have, uh, I think it's 19% actually, 19%. One in five have a biblical worldview. Shocking, right? Well, with uh, no further ado, here is our speaker and visionary leader, Pastor Joe Wyrostek. Pastor Jared, our cohort advisor. Wonderful, wonderful. Let's always make sure we have this on the right side. Good, sir. Thank you. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. We want to open up to chapter 2, verse uh, 16, or chapter 3, rather, verse 16. And Joe B., would you also get back there for me, please, because I want to need you to switch that slide for me. Uh, and you could just uh, stay back there. I appreciate that. Thank you. So we want to look at the Scripture, go back into some of these things about Christian millennials, and then get into the answers to the problems. What we talked about last week is what is a millennial? As you're at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Thank you, sir. Uh, chapter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 is where we left off, but I want to really work that today. But a millennial is basically somebody that's between the ages of 20 to 40. Some stats put them between 18 to 36. And uh, it's the largest generation in America, last time I said, in the world. And that may be very true. That age group may be the largest generation on the planet as well. But we know specifically, as we're talking here, that's the largest generation in America. And I have uh, pastored this generation basically the entire time I've been in ministry. So if you put the cutoff date for the millennials at around 36, well, then that means I was right there at the end of the Gen X era, right at the beginning of the millennials. If you put it right towards 77, 76, uh, 40, 41 years old, which I've seen some studies do, I'm a beginning person in the millennial generation. But either or, I mean, it's just 
a part of my life and always has been. And uh, I've always thought in a lot of ways, like millennials, I've always uh, looked at uh, the world through the lens of multimedia. I was around when cell phones really came out. I was one of the first people to have them, you know, walking around, pulling it out in a store, you know, this big brick looking like thing, you know, like, and people would look at me and I would have to actually stop and talk about it and be like, yeah, it does this, this and that. I remember my mother telling me that she was mad that I didn't have a home phone. And I said, no, I just got my cell phone. I said, trust me, mom, everybody's going to get rid of their home phone sooner or later. You don't need them anymore. Uh, multiple people in one home can receive calls at different times, you know. And then I remember the internet coming out, and I remember being right around 19 years old. And of course, some of these technologies were out beforehand, but they weren't popularized, you know. So I was around when they became popular. And uh, uh, talking to a guy, and he's like, I'm witnessing to him, actually, and he's like, hey, I'll give you my email. Let's stay in touch. And, and I was like, I don't even know what that is. What is that? And he was explaining to me what an email is and what the at sign was. And I didn't even know what the at sign was, you know, because when, when we were growing up before then, computers were just plugged into the wall. You know, your computer didn't connect to anything. It was just plugged into the wall and you would have a certain software program on there. And I remember having floppy disk and going to the dorm and downloading my Bible programs onto there. I remember that's how you did it. So I, I mean, I've been a part of uh, this whole technological thing that we, we've we started, and most people that are my age uh, have led those ways. You know, a little bit older, you can look at a Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, they're a little bit older. Uh, they're coming probably right at the end of the baby boom generation. So what I am to the uh, millennials, they were to the baby boomers, and then they led the Gen X generation. You know, those guys that I was looking up to, they led them through this technology thing. And then all the people that have now come after that, just, you know, you can look at Mark Zuckerberg, a little bit younger than me, but you may find, you know, uh, other people a little bit older than me. So I've been right in the heart of all of that going on because technology had a great um, uh, a great impact into our worldview, as well as music. You know, I remember uh, growing up, and it was like, these are the people who like rock and roll, and then these are the people who like rap. But as we got older, we started being a part of, like, Columbia House or these different CD programs where you could, you know, uh, these companies, you could get multiple CDs for a few dollars. And so, you know, you get Bob Marley, and then you get this, and you get this. Well, it only took a little bit of time before when I started playing in my guitar it wasn't just rock anymore. Now it was rock and rap. And then and then I'm listening to dance music and it's dance rock and rap, you know, and then it's dance rock rap reggae. And you see you could see all those influences coming in. So I was uh, POD is my age, you know, Limp Biscuit, my age, mixing rap with rock and uh, watching those guys do what they did. So whether you're looking at music or technology, you can see that, you know, that a lot of guys like me who are now pastoring were a part of it. One thing I can say that I really never took part of and never was anything about it, and that was fashion. So you could look at me 20 years ago, literally pastoring in New Orleans. I have a picture of me sitting down with the team. I have a T-shirt on, cargo pants on, and some tennis shoes and some, like, you know, glasses, you know, they pretty much look exactly like this, and I'm just like chilling, you know, and so I never got into beards and this and that. I did go a little bit for the blowout for a minute, you know, I thought that was cool, but it didn't take very long for me to get tired of wanting to put gel in my hair, so I've never really have been that kind of a guy, but I can understand it because I've watched them come in and come out, and there's some people that I've always known in the church, and I've always said, okay, I'm going to look at what you're doing now because that's probably what I'll be doing two years from now, you know, so like I watched him do all the spiky look 
And I was like, that's crazy. And a few years later, I'm doing the spiky look. And then I saw him kind of do like the Justin Bieber look. And I'm like, I'll probably be doing that pretty soon. Thank God I wasn't, you know. But I did kind of grow out my hair again. That 70s show, Aston Kusher kind of look. Okay, so uh, I do identify with this culture, but the culture has multiple problems. And please put up the other slide as we get ready to look at the scriptures. And George Barna is a Christian statistician that has put up a lot of this, and I just summarized it. The Christian millennials today have a lack of discipleship, lack of biblical morals, and lack of biblical doctrines. Now, once again, this is not just me shaking my, my finger at you guys going, oh, you're so bad, you kids, look at you, pull up your pants, you know. No, that's not what I'm doing. I'm looking beyond things of fashion. I'm looking beyond uh, trends of tattoos and piercings and beard and no beard. I'm looking beyond your style of music. I'm looking beyond all what makes you millennials. And so for those who, are, who may be listening by audio or don't see the audience, this is all millennial Bible college students here. So that's not what I'm talking about. Th this is literally what we're talking about. How do we know that these 75 million U.S. millennials uh, are lacking uh, the Christian worldview, and remember the Christian worldview is how we see the world, and we should see it through the lens of the Bible. How do we know? Well, these stats don't lie, and they've been done by multiple large organizations, and even if you didn't take the statisticians at their word, just look at the anecdotal evidence in your life, and anecdotal just means your personal experience. They say about four out of a hundred millennials have a Christian worldview. Does that sound about right in your everyday life? You know, when you're out working at the Nike store downtown, you know, does that sound about right? About maybe four out of the hundred that will come in there will have a worldview. That doesn't mean four out of the hundred believe in God. It's just that they're actually following those principles. When I go out today to witness at Wright, Park, uh, Wright College, uh, you know, probably 20 people today, so I probably have to put a few weeks together to get to my hundred. Maybe four out of the hundred will actually have a Christian worldview. Doesn't that sound about right? They're going to a church. They'll understand what we're saying. Have you been born again? Yeah, you know, very rarely do you meet them in large numbers because they don't exist. They don't exist. And, and even with, I was listening to one street preacher, he was talking to somebody, and they go, well, I'm a Christian too. And they were arguing, and then it came to a point where he, he was basically questioning her Christianity, and she was saying, well, why don't you believe me? And he said, he said, he said, woman, uh, not woman, but I forget what he called her. He said, uh, ma'am. There we go. He said, ma'am. He said, I have people come out here all the time and tell me they're Christians. And within about 15 minutes of us arguing, they're denying the inerrancy of the scripture. They're denying that Jesus is the only way. They're denying that there's a literal hell. I don't know you, you know. I don't know if you're a Christian. But in her mind, it was like, because I said it, you better believe it, you know. So these three issues, lack of discipleship, lack of biblical morals, lack of biblical doctrines, who I spent a lot of time last week on, let me just go through the stats and how we can know this. Around 59% claim to be Christian, but only 33% say they're born again. However, only 4% have a biblical worldview. That means 85% of millennials in the church don't think with the lens or think the way Jesus taught in the Bible. So think about that. If there are 59% of millennials out of that 75 million that call themselves Christians, take a simple worldview test. Is there one God? Is Jesus his son? Is the Bible the word of God? Only one way to heaven, which I think even Catholics could probably have passed. Anybody, 59% that's just with a true Christian, then that means there should be 59% of millennials with worldviews, right? 
Because even the Roman Catholic Church believes abortion's a sin. Hey, come on, somebody. Even they believe homosexuality's a sin. Even they believe the Bible's the word of God. Can I get an amen? So, I mean, there just, just should be 59% of millennials think this way about morality, think the Bible's way about doctrine, think the Bible's way about hell, but they don't. Only 4% of them do. So that means if I have a church and it has a lot of millennials in it, like you see with Hillsong's New York or Judah Smith in Seattle or Rich Wilkerson Jr. in Miami, then that means that if they are not discipling, then they are attributing to the problem. If they're not making disciples, they are attributing to why there are so many people that claim to be Christians, almost 60%, but only 4% of them have a worldview. That means eight out of 10 times they're failing to do the right thing in the church. And if they continue that way, we continue to lose. And so it's very simple when you look at it. And uh, Joby, please bring me a black pen because I think it will show up a little better. Thank you. If, if you look at it, let's say we have a mega church. And nothing wrong with mega churches, but we have to build them on the foundation. And let's say they have 5,000 people in that church, but let's say only out of that 5,000 people, we'll just give them 10% to make it even math, only 500 of them have a worldview. If they keep that stat and keep growing upwards this way, but only have 10% of uh, their followers with a Christian worldview, are they actually helping the Christian movement with their growth? They're really not. Because as they're growing, they are allowing 90% to continue with a false worldview. So no matter how much they grow, well, I have 100,000 people in my church. Well, if they do, and now 90,000 of them have an unbiblical worldview, it doesn't matter that you've helped 10,000 to have a worldview. You have caused a cancer to grow in your church. It would be better for you to have only a church of 10,000 with the worldview of 10,000, but I like to say 80% because, you know, you're always going to have visitors then. You're always going to have people going through different things. So let's say you have a church of 10,000 and 8,000 of them are disciples. It's better to have that size of a church because the damage that you're doing to the actual global Christian movement or the Christian movement in your society, it's not as bad. Because you're doing something wrong if more than half of your people don't share the Christian worldview. So if we stood outside of Hillsong, New York, Carl Lentz's church, and just interviewed them and just asked them one, one simple question, is, homosex- is the practice of homosexuality a sin that would, uh, those who practice it would not inherit the kingdom of God? Like just a biblical phrase, you know? Do you believe that, yes or no? If, if more than half of the people walk out of there saying, no, it's not a biblical sin, he has not only failed those people, he has failed the Christian movement as a whole. Do you get that? That's why, once again, everybody get this with me. Look up at me, please. That's why if you take out these numbers um, with what I just described right here, you still get the problem just in our culture, in our society, okay? So watch this right here. The Christian uh, um, people who identified with Christians, the baby boomers, Gen X, used to be around 70, and it still is for that age group, around 70%. But now the millennials 
are around 60%. Do you see what's happened there? They've already gone down. And so as these people here die off, this becomes the population. Now these people raise up their kids. And how are they doing it? How are the millennials right now raising their children? Are they teaching them that there's only two genders, male and female? Or are they teaching them that they can be transgender? Are they teaching them that God made sex to be between one man and one woman? You know, what are they imparting to them? Well, we see it by how these children now are going through what they're going through, all the issues they have. So if you just see, look at where the trend is. It keeps going down. Now, imagine you're in a city of, uh, say, like Chicago, 9 million people. And let's say you have a church of 100,000 But now our statistic of Christianity has gone down to 15%. Has the church as a whole won in that city? No, because what we have, we may have one, and let's say these actually are, let's say it's a Metro Praise, right, has 100,000. I'm not saying we're the only one, but I know that's our goal. That would be awesome for us to have 100,000. But if the Christian stats in Chicago have gone down to 50%, we're in a lot of trouble. Do you get it? Because it is failing as a whole what the other churches are doing. What we're doing as a movement in Christianity is only as strong as the people alive in that generation are strong. Christianity could be wiped out in one generation. That's why a lot of atheists think they can do it. If we can convince all your children that Christianity is not true, then it won't exist, you know, by the time you pass away or when you die. It won't exist for their children because it's a belief system that's propagated by people. It's not like the moon that's set in place. Now, we know its truth is unchanging, but these are the principles that we have to live by to grow the Christian movement is that we're building disciples. And so uh, the Bible says make disciples of the nations. So how do we make disciples of nations? By teaching these people in our churches what they ought to believe as Christians and experiencing the Christian worldview. Uh, The second thing is lack of biblical morals, 96%. So just there's only 4% who have the right biblical worldview according to morals. And we're not talking about like things that could be considered a gray area. They didn't ask these millennials, like, is it okay to drink wine or not? Or is, is it okay to listen to secular music? It's like literally asking them the things we know clearly here. Is it okay to murder a baby? Yes or no? Is it okay to violate the sexual commands of God, the sexuality commands of God? And 96% are saying, these things don't apply to me. So now just look at the millennial generation. Even if we don't look at these stats, let's just look at your friends. How many of them actually believe sex before marriage leads to hell? Do you think 60% of them, those who claim to be Christians, actually believe that there is a literal hell because of sin, and these are the lists of sins? Matter of fact, let's just turn there real quick. As we, go to, uh, as we go to Galatians, I want you guys to, to see this. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5, just so you can see a list of sins. Galatians chapter 5, say start in verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. Do you notice how he lists it first, sexual immorality? Okay, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy. How many know every millennial right now is already offended? That's living for the devil in that sense, right? Uh, Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. 
And this is where you got to tell a millennial, you're not the first one to do polyamory. You're not the first one to have sex parties. You're not the first one to do this. This, is, this may have been a scripture that would have embarrassed us to read in the 80s. And I felt embarrassed even reading it in the 90s. But orgies are a real deal. And our Bible puts them in there because it was a real deal in that generation. And then he just says, and the like. Now look at what it, he goes on to say. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you don't really have discipleship, if you don't really have sound doctrine, then you're not going to understand the morality of God. And then the next thing that we see is that they lack those doctrines. Now, all of this can be summarized in they don't know the God of the Bible. They don't know the gospel. They don't know the truth of scriptures. If you know the truth, the truth shall set you free. But I'm just trying to break this down because everybody probably in the 60% will say, I believe in Jesus, and Jesus is in my heart, right? You know, you guys go out to Mardi Gras, Jesus loves you. I know he does. You know, I mean, that's what they're going to say. And then the moment you start talking about these things, what are they going to say to you? Well, Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus is love. Why are you condemning people? Um, maybe uh, next week if I go to a part three, I'll actually uh, put up some of our uh, you know, fellow street preachers that go out to college campuses, and we can just play some of those videos. And you'll hear the Christians, arg- you know, quote, unquote, Christians arguing with them. And, and one of the things that... that that kind of is sad but funny at the same time. Uh, these people will try to, because they set up two microphones. They do it like how Ray Comfort does. And I've actually thought about doing this here as, as Yuli and I were talking, but there's two things about it that, that haven't settled right with me. Number one, we don't have a consistent crowd where we're at. And then number two, we have sound ordinance laws where we're at, where we really can't bring out those speakers. Most of these guys either have permits to do that or in a place like New Orleans, Dallas, or wherever they can do this. But even then, when we record it, we're more about making disciples, and so we got to be careful about when we're recording, because even that one time we were out recording, they got really shy and didn't even want to talk to us, and it's like, I don't want to be known for the guy trying to get them on camera to do stuff. It's more important for me to make them disciples. Okay, you guys getting me on that? So, you know, i got some things I'm going on that, but uh, just to give an example, thank God for those who, who have the call to do it. They have a microphone, little speaker next to them, and they put a microphone in front of them, they start preaching, and then you start interacting with the crowd. Let you come to the microphone. Don't swear. Say whatever you want. And uh, you'll see them interact with these Christians, supposed Christians. And, and they'll start arguing back and forth. Well, you shouldn't tell these people the X, Y, and Z. You shouldn't do this. So then he says to them, well, do you believe in hell? And I can tell you that right there and then they know they've been caught. He is setting them up. He is setting them up. And I, I mean, I don't mean to be judging by appearances, but just the way these kind of people talk, I just, I just feel like I know what kind of churches they go to, and I feel like I've met a lot of them. You know, thank you, sir. I feel like I've met a lot of them. And uh, make sure we put a list to get, um, let, to get black ones, please. Let um, maybe even just Pastor Jared know that, to put on his list. And, and this is what he'll say, do you believe in a hell? And then they'll say, if they're really like a quote-unquote Christian, they'll say, yeah. And then he'll say, well, then who goes there then? And then on the microphone, he says this scripture to them, something like what I just read in Galatians. He says this to them, and he goes, okay, so do idolaters go to heaven or hell? On the mic in front of their friends. And then you can see they're hesitating, and he goes, it's hard to say it, isn't it? Because you're not used to saying it. You're, you're violating your worldview to accept the Bible because your Bible isn't your worldview. And that's what we notice a lot in the church is that they come here and they may even have a belief in God, but they haven't switched worldviews. The worldview is still the way it was before they came to church. And you'll see this oftentimes in politics. 
you'll see them supporting like what we've gotten to before during the election, socialism. Socialism is sin. That doesn't mean you have to like Donald Trump. That doesn't mean you have to support the Republican Party. But you could not, as a Christian, truly with a Christian worldview, support a Hillary. You could not because she was for abortion. She had socialistic tendencies. You could not support a Bernie Sanders. And so if you want to hear from other Christians that direct these specific issues, you can deal with that at another time, and maybe we'll talk about God and politics here. But the conservative values, better or worse, reflect more truly the biblical worldview of economy. Socialism is an oppressive belief system based on godlessness, based on godlessness, and so that's why even when I say this here, I can already see like, oh, pastor's going to go there now. Pastor's going to go. You've got to understand these movements are based in godlessness, godlessness. The idea of conservatism is based in biblical economic principles, biblical economic principles where it's based upon independence and free market. That's how the Jewish people lived. The Jewish people had independent businesses not controlled by their state, and they were able to choose how they did business and commerce and gain as much wealth as they wanted to as long as they did not violate the conditions of Israel. And so it wasn't the rich were bad, the poor were good, no. And there was a system built in to care for the poor, but it wasn't a handout, it was a hand up. And it was Paul who said, if a person doesn't work, they shall not eat, okay? And so there's a principle of the Bible, even within charity, you have to work to eat. That's why capitalism takes out more people out of poverty than even charity. Do you understand that? Capitalism and good economy has lifted that they say almost a billion people right now, hundreds of millions specifically in China and India, out of poverty. And the church could never do something like that because all we do is disperse the money our people give to us to help them, and they, it would never have given them a job. Capitalistic things give people jobs, okay? And that, and that bothers our millennial generation. Now, here's the thing. The younger ones tend to be more socialistic, and they surveyed them on this as well, and the older ones tend to be more conservative, and that's a good thing, that people, as they mature, get their own jobs, start owning their home, and start doing things. They start understanding we need principles that increase wealth, and I love what Adrian Rogers said, the famous Baptist preacher. He said this because he, he preached on stuff like this too. He said, you don't lift up the boats out of the water uh, one at a time, you raise the level of the water and all the boats are lifted. And that is how you build an economy. That is how you set people free from poverty. And so you see a lot of socially conscious uh, millennials, but they're uh, believing in a false system. And what they don't understand is where it came from and where a lot of those mindsets got popular. And, and that's why it concerned me when I, see, I saw a lot of Latinos wearing the Che Guevara shirts. It's like, oh, my gosh, you don't even know what's going on. This is the revolution of Che Guevara and Fidel Castro. You look up to those guys. Talk to the people from Cuba. Cuba. 
These are their dictators. It would literally be no different than walking around wearing Stalin faces, walking around wearing Hitler faces. Now, we know there's white supremacists who do that, but they're going to bust hell wide open for a hundred other reasons as well, right? But the deceiving thing about socialism is they think that it's a biblical concept because the Bible says they shared and they had things in common. And that's actually a bigger deal than what I've made out of it here. So I'm glad I made a moment to do that because uh, George Barna has been talking about that as well, that we could lose our country. If, if more people start thinking like George Barna, you will lose this country, young people. And if you think about it, even just when it comes to our war or dropping bombs in Syria and everything, if you're a millennial at the median age, let's say you're a millennial at 30 years old, you're you know, between 20 and, and uh, 40, you're 30 years old, you had eight years of Obama, back that down to 22, four years of Bush just doing whatever thing he did to about 18 years old. You have only known one and a half presidents, maybe younger Bush's first years, but you were probably a child, didn't think much about it, okay? Track with me here. You have no idea what America was built on as a president. You don't even know what a good president looks like. If all you know is the last four years of Bush and eight years of Obama, you have no idea of what was going on for years and years and years and years and years before you even came here. You hear people talk about Reagan, but you have no idea who he is. You hear people talk about Eisenhower, but you don't know them. You don't know that. You don't know Kennedy. You don't know. And so you... you you, you kind of get in this mindset where it's like, well, I know Obama, and he was the greatest thing to slice bread, and you just have no idea why we're bombing Syria now. It's because America don't take no stuff. You grew up in America where we were taking too much stuff. You were dealing with people that kept giving money to Iran and to these people. You're dealing with a president now, for better or for worse, who's saying, you poison these people. We're dropping 60 uh, Hellfire missiles on you. You need to understand that. And, and trust me, you're not the ones going to fight, those of you sitting here. Most of the people protesting aren't the ones going to fight. The ones that I know in the military are saying it's about time. We have a, a sergeant that's in our, or was a part of our church that's about ready to be deployed now, Montes. It's about time. You got these Navy guys. We have Navy officers in our church that teach here at the Naval Academy, and they do basic training. It's about time. These, these men are tired of, these military folks are tired of having their hands tied. And I just watched Hacksaw Ridge, and many of you need to understand this mindset. The reason why there's so many things able to go on in your generation, you know, uh, extreme sports, uh, sports fanaticism. You know, you got guys doing everything you can think of right now, like, like uh, pogo jumping is becoming a professional sport. Unicycling is becoming a professional sport. Uh, racing planes is becoming a professional sports. And then you got sports fanaticism that you've never had before. Uh, you know, there's people who love their sports teams, but the amount uh, of idolatry you can do with media now and as much as you can keep feeding you, you're, you're just this, this lust for this has never been around. And then the expendable income of millennials is just mind-blowing. It's mind-numbing even to me what they will spend their money on, you know, hundreds of dollars on, on these, these things that they'll wear and then trends and then, uh, then uh, 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 their dogs and what they spend on their pets, you know. I grew up in a, just, just when I grew up in the 80s, it was still popular to see a doghouse. When was the last time you even saw a doghouse? Y'all don't even know what a doghouse, and literally I say a doghouse and you, and you think it's funny. 
You don't even know what a doghouse is. No, a dog doesn't sleep out there. No, a dog is in here. A dog has a, a veterinarian that, you know, we, if the dog has cancer, we'll spend $20,000 to keep that dog alive. This is, this is mind-numbing. It's mind-numbing. I'm not saying we should be cruel to animals. But the idolatry of even animals, loving animals to that point where it's well beyond a pet. Your, your dog has cancer, let the dog go. Let's put the dog to sleep. Don't spend $20,000, but you have expendable income, right? You know why that is? I'll just tell you right now. Because you all haven't been on Hacksaw Ridge. Neither have I. You haven't had to fight people who absolutely hate you and don't want you to have a safe space and want to kill you viciously. You send a few, few uh, thousand of our boys over there, you see how they come back. They don't, have, they don't have that on their mind anymore. You see, it was after they came back from World War II, all these men wanted to do was give their families safe space to live and become godly, to live and become free. It was from that time, the Civil Rights Movement, and this is where you even talk about the, uh, you know, the African-Americans and all this. Just look at the stats. The black family in the civil rights movement, at the worst of it, right? It's, it's, it's we should know better, but America's not doing better. The fountains are this, you know, separated. Professors that I had in Bible college getting served out the side of buildings in the South. I've been to Rosa Parks bus in Birmingham. Fresh memories and people who are alive in my generation, right? Their marriages in the black community lasting longer. Their employment rate better, right? So what changed? It wasn't racism. It was the degradation of the African-American family. Now, people can say how that happened, whatever it happened to, but the bottom line is it has happened to all of us. And there's actually a book out right now that says the reason why the church is so sick with millennials is because everybody's family is sick. And uh, we'll move it away from color now. We'll just put it into culture. The suburban families are sick. The hood families are sick. The rich families are sick. And it's because they haven't built their lives on God. They haven't built their lives on the Lord. So go back to this and just think about it now. If we have the wrong worldview and we don't believe in a heaven or hell, are we going to have the right political worldview? Let's just go there. Let's, just, let's not talk about who, who should be a president right now according to your beliefs. Some, some Christians say, I couldn't vote for Trump. Okay, that's fine, but you know God as your witness. You couldn't vote for Hillary. You couldn't do that with a Christian worldview, right? You could vote for some other Christian that you know of or a better candidate. Okay, I got you, but, you know, there's no way we're doing that. Voting for, you know, voting for someone who believes in partial birth abortion. We just had a family in our church uh, have a miscarriage at, at about 30 weeks. That would be allowed to be killed inside of Hillary Clinton's abortion clinics. Let's just keep it real. That's called infanticide. Are you listening? Okay. But that's not, let's, even, let's even get away from that. Let's just ask a simple question. If you don't believe in the doctrines of the Bible, are you going to have the right way to vote? Yes or no? Yes or no? No. Are you going to have the right way to have a marriage if you don't believe in the doctrines of the Bible? No, and that's because 96% of this generation of millennials are rejecting the exclusive claims of Jesus, a literal hell, the sole authority of the Bible, and the role of the church in their lives. Well, if they reject that, well, why do you think they reject the other things that we're saying? Why do you, it's, 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 it's the outcome 
And I believe it was, uh, find out who this is, I believe Dr. Brown has it up on his page right now, and maybe C.K. Chesterton. But anyone who says, I'm going to stop believing in God, has not taken a neutral position. They have now just made something else their God. Do you understand? Those who say, I don't believe in theology, have not stopped doing theology. They have just told you, I'm going to do a different theology. A theology of ignorance, a theology of self-serving, a theology of idolatry. Right? So many of you here are so used to idolatry, you don't even recognize it anymore. You look at the, the music industry. It's idolatry. Look at me. Look at my body. Look at my riches. It's all about them. You know, and I thank God for Christians in those industries, Christians in music, Christians in sports, but they're so far and few and in between. You know, the, the idea, I was watching this with LeBron James in Cleveland. I was watching a business show about him helping small businesses get started. And I don't know his Christian faith, and I don't really want to get into that. But I'm just saying, the idea now that, that the answer is, I made $100 million off playing basketball, so I'll help this way. That doesn't fix anything. It temporarily puts a Band-Aid on our problems, but it doesn't go to the root of the issue. And because now the church is so powerless, we're going to them for our influence. Do you have it? Yeah, bring it up here so I can get it on the mic, please. Thank you. I'll read it here. Thank you, Pastor Jared. G.K. Chesterton. When men choose not to believe in God, they do not thereafter believe in nothing. They then become capable of believing in anything. Well said. You know, it's, it's, it's not that we need more programs, more political programs, more social programs, more business programs. The Garden of Eden was perfect. The Garden of Eden had perfection in every possible way, a perfect garden, a perfect humanity, a perfect relationship with God. It was the human heart through the temptation of Satan that led them astray. So until we deal with Satan and the human heart, we cannot live holy. We cannot have the mindset of God. And so that's why I, I, I encourage you to watch the videos on Apologia Radio, to subscribe to them. Even though they're Calvinists and we may not agree with how they view soteriology, we can certainly believe that there is a truth in the gospel that they present the way we present. And the problem is many churches don't present it that way. And so you watch them in front of the Planned Parenthood, not screaming, not hollering, but Planned Parenthood ringing a bell, a cowbell in front of them just so people won't hear them. No argument. Then you literally see in the last video they put up a transgender satanic priest. You know, you can't make this stuff up. And they're having an argument about whether these things are, 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 are even acceptable. I mean, it's, it's so mind-blowing. And you have to wake up. You have to see the world differently than the way your generation does. And as I ended last week, this was a longer introduction than I want. We'll go to part three next week. But... You cannot take for granted your worldview. The Bible says, test everything. Hold to that which is true. Test your worldview. Test it. 
When I was a pool maintenance man, I had to go and test the waters every day to see the chlorine count and all of the bacteria and things. And then we knew how much to put into the pool for what reasons, you know? Do you put in more water? Put in more chlorine? Do you put in more of these different things? And I never knew what I was doing. I was just, you know, always trying to follow around some guy. They were going to put me in charge of it, but God let me out of that job before then. But, you know, it was chemistry in one sense, you know? And, and it's like, you got to test your worldview, though. When I talk to young adults and they say, well, I have a problem that you, you voted for Trump. I have a problem with it. Okay, well, what's your problem with it? Well, he said mean things. He did this and he did this. Okay, I, I, I agree with you. My worldview says, you know, by that definition, he's a sinner on his way to hell. But have you judged the, the other option, Hillary Clinton, by that same standard? I mean, have you been honest with what she believes about abortion? And then immediately you get to see, well, they don't see abortion as that big of a deal. And I wrote a whole article on this. I mean, let's say, let's just, let's just play it all the way out here, okay? Let's say you have two kings to choose from. Two kings, so now it's not even a, a, a dem democracy. But in one sense, you get to choose who they are. And then after that, you don't get to do anything else. But here's the rule. They can only do what they put in their policies to do. So go with me on this thought experiment here. You choose the king. After that, they're fully in charge. You can't stop them from doing one thing. But they can only do things in that fashion, you know, handing down these edicts, if they told you right off the bat, I will do these things. Okay? So let's say you have two kings. Here we go. Here, here's your philosophical uh, morality test. Here you go. One king says, I will grow up women. I will have multiple affairs and I will steal money from the kingdom, okay? The other one says, I will murder one million of your children a year. I will punish anyone who disagrees with my view of sexuality. I will take their rights away from them. Which king do you choose now? You say, well, I'm not going to vote for either. What you have just done is let the worst of them come into power. See, that's what your generation doesn't want to understand. The devil has been around for a long time. It's a slow game to him. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Do you understand that? And we have to be willing to fight back with our worldview to the ones that are closest to us. Otherwise, and someone wrote the book called The Benedict Option, which is getting a lot of talk right now in theological circles, otherwise we join the Amish and just say to hell with it all, it's going down now anyways. We go to our monasteries now. We go to our farms now. We pull our kids out of school. We stop working secular jobs. We stop running for political office. We stop fighting in their militaries. We stop being their police officers. Literally, we go Amish. There are people writing that right now saying it's over. The sink has shipped. Move to Arizona. Get plots of land. Start doing agricultural work. Become self-sufficient. Live off the land. Pay your taxes. Say goodbye to the American culture. This thing is over. Am I making this up? That is not being made up right now. You are about ready to see Christian communes begin to spring up all over America. There is a lot of talk of this right now in, in a lot of universities and a lot of big think tanks because they're just getting nailed every way you can think. The professor that came to us from Canada, which is way worse than us, he already had to go to, he had to spend so much money, they went to the Supreme Court of Canada 
for them to continue to believe in one man, one woman for marriage and not have to hire homosexuals in their seminary. You can look it up online. Canada Seminary in their Supreme Court. You can look it up. He was in charge of it. He was the president of their seminary. It's already there. It's happening more and more and more. We're going to be labeled as, as hate mongers and bigots. You could see how they did. That's why I stand with African Americans of conservative backgrounds like Alan West, like Ben Carson, uh, like these different people because they're putting up their hand, even the rapper Bizzle, going, it ain't the same. Homosexual desires and, and, and what we went through as African Americans is not the same. But they are convincing people it is. And so if they can put it in your mind, that the way white slave owners treated Kuta Kinte is the way you as a Christian are treating in your bakery the homosexual couple that wants to have the same-sex wedding presentation of two men holding a hand. You deny them. You're on that same level. That gets people angry, and that gets them angry real fast. Because it's not that we want equality. We want superiority. We want to be in charge. And we want to tell your children what to think because all it takes is a little bit uh, of this belief system before they start telling you what I'm telling you is abuse, child abuse, to tell an innocent child that there's a heaven and hell, to tell an innocent child that their feelings towards the opposite sex is, is, is sinful. That's child abuse. And yet they don't see any decrease in their suicide rate. Yet they don't see any decrease in anything they're trying. It is not working. They thought that when they got uh, the 80s homosexual movement, thought when they could get married that their STD rates would go down, that the AIDS epidemic would go down. They still can't give blood even to this day because their, their, their disease rates have not gone down. They say, well, it's going to take longer for our culture to adjust to marriage instead of living like uh, perverted, uh, you know, multi-partners. On average, the, the heterosexual man may have around 10 to 15 partners in his life. The average homosexual man can have hundreds. It's statistical. That's why I'm saying this. This hasn't changed. Abuse in lesbian relationships is worse than being in the same, uh, opposite sex relationships. Uh, the, the bullying uh, and, and, the, and the suicide rate for those who get the sex changes and all of that is just as high as it was before they got it. It's not fixing their problems. And then they say, well, it's because society hasn't changed enough, hasn't changed enough. And it's going to get to the point where it's like, no one, we came out of the closet, we push you into the closet, and now no one is allowed to say anything because you'll be the reason for all of our problems. Sound familiar? Do you all know how Christianity came into its worst part of Christian persecution? You ever heard of Nero? You ever heard of Nero? That's the one who beheaded Paul. Right around the time of 60, 70 AD, he blamed the problems of Rome on Christians, and that was the narrative for the next 300 years. We're not as strong as we used to be because of these Christians. We have problems because of these Christians. When was the last time you heard that in the last 100 years? Where was it? Where was it? Come on, you need to know your world history. Germany. The Jews are our problems. The Jews cause our problems. The Jews are the rats of our society. That's how the devil works. He wins the ideological battle. 
He wins the battle for your thought and your worldview, and then the consequences follow. The consequences follow. It's, it's not very hard. I mean, just think the way they think. There is no hell where a homosexual goes to for homosexual behavior. There is no hell where people living together without being married go to. So that doesn't exist, right? You tell people that, you're a liar. Their mind. Liars are bad for our society. Liars who believe this and tell their children this are really bad for our society. Liars who don't stop telling these lies need to leave our society. That's how it happens. That's how Christian persecution goes on right now. That's how it goes on right now in in China. That's how it goes on right now in uh, North Korea. That's how it goes on right now in India. They beat them. They burn down their thing. Why? Because our gods are mad at you. Our crops aren't growing because of you. We're in poverty because of you. We're going to burn down your churches and get the blessing of our God. And the secular culture will do the same exact thing. And if you don't see that socialism and Marxism ties into that, you don't understand where those worldviews come from. You don't understand George Soros. You don't understand the people that read and write these books and how they have studied world revolutions, and they have no place. Everybody look up at me here. They have no place for Christians. No place for Christians. I've already heard it from two of you, one here and one not here. One said, I wanted to be with the Black Lives Matter movement, started coming around, thought I could help out my culture, began to speak about my views of abortion, I was ostracized. Talked to a girl from Brazil, wants to see equal rights from women, goes down there, wants to help and serve women, she believes what she believes, they ostracize her. They don't want you. They don't want to meet on that common ground. Because your in-game is a part of the problem to them. See, your in-game is to empower women to be better Christians and to be better mothers. That's not what they want to empower women to be. They want women to be better at their worldview. And that's why it's important to have the right worldview. Now let's go back to our scripture in closing. Put up the other slide, please. Thank you for your patience today. Definitely a part three here. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and onward says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly approved and equipped for every good work. Now look at verse 16, uh, I mean uh, chapter 4, verse 2. That was 2 Timothy 3, 16. Now chapter 4, verse 2 says, Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And as we learned last week, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, right? But for their own itching ears, will call to them the teachers that will say what they want to hear. Isn't that what it says? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 onwards, uh, verse 3 rather, for the time will come. When people will not put up with sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn away, look at this part right here, they will turn away their ears, excuse me, they will turn away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Evolution is a myth. Yes, there is speciation. Yes, there are changes within species. We've known this. 
It doesn't mean, just because there can be a hundred different types of dogs and a variety of dogs, doesn't mean a dog came from a rat or a mouse. Or that all mammals have the same ancestor. Just because there's a common designer and we have eyes and an ape has eyes and we have uh, four or five fingers and a thumb, you know, and they have four fingers and a thumb, doesn't mean that we come from an ape-like ancestor. Are you listening? It's a myth. But look at how it propagates their belief. I don't believe in God. I believe in science. They don't even know the history of science, do they? See, think about that. If you forget your past, you're doomed to repeat it. Convince them that the Christians are the problem. Who are the problem people right now? Well, Christians are the problem. Males are the problem. White people are the problem. Basically, anyone that doesn't look like us or agree with us is the problem. And I've showed you guys these videos before. And it doesn't matter if it's a political talk. Uh, let's just put it in, let's, let's put culture in three, in three things right here. Three things so we can all just kind of get here. Politics, religion, and economics. It doesn't matter what color you are because the moment you switch sides and have a Christian worldview of politics, religion, or economics, now you are an Uncle Tom. Now you are a traitor. Now you don't understand, right? Listen to Black Lives Matter debate other black people who don't believe in their narrative. Which blows my mind, as you guys remember, we had Pastor Thomas Gross here, a pastor from the South who's lived in New Orleans basically his whole life, tried to convince, and his parents suffered racism. He suffered racism in the South, lived through the civil rights movement. He has to try to convince teenagers in this generation it's not the same, and they don't believe him. They, they don't believe him. And he's the one going, I watched my dad. Get harassed by police. I was harassed. I saw it. This is not your battle for righteousness. When Martin Luther King's niece stands up for abortion and says, my uncle would be against us using his platform for homosexuality, but would be for us using it for the unborn child, they say she's an Uncle Tom. She's telling you, I know what my uncle would stand for. He would use equal rights for the unborn child. Not so that we can change the gender that God gave us. And I can say the same thing with economics. Talk to somebody from Latin American countries. Talk to somebody from Cuba. Do you know how many people in Florida voted for Trump and all of them because they didn't want anything that resembled what they were going through? I had a Puerto Rican man tell me, uh, you know, a little obviously different than, than Cuba, but, you know, a lot of Latin Americans are influenced by socialism as their countries are going to uh, falling apart all around them. Look up at me, please, as I know you guys are signing in. This Puerto Rican businessman was telling me, he goes to another church, how he was convincing his mom. And this is what he said. He said, okay, let's stop arguing about what you see on the news and this person, that person. Let me just ask you this. Do you believe in this? Do you believe in this? Do you believe in this? Yes, I'm a Christian, son. You know I believe in this. This is the closest one to that. And then she goes, oh, I never thought of it that way. I'm serious. And then the same thing is with religion. We welcome everybody here but we are a Christian nation. We don't have Ramadan in our calendar, do we? Why do we have Christmas on our calendar? Why do we have Easter as a holiday on our calendar? Why do we swear upon the Bible? Why isn't God we trust there? Come on, somebody. Because that's what we are. That's what we've been. 
and when we didn't live up to those standards, we suffered for it. We suffered for it. But today we can be better for it and learn from it. Amen? Listen to people who have a Christian mindset, not mythological. Talk to people who have a Christian mindset in politics. Listen to them. Listen to people who have a Christian mindset about Christianity, right? And listen to people who have a Christian mindset talk to you about economics. Build your faith upon the Word of God. Test it. Test it. Look at what Alan West says, I mean, as an African-American leader. Do you want to go to Alan West's church? Or do you want to go to the African lesbians church? Right? Which, what, if you're African American, which church do you want to go to? Alan West's church or a Latino? Do you want to go to the church that preaches the gospel? Or do you want to go to a church that never mentions heaven and hell but makes you feel good about immigration or whatever? Are you listening? That's why so many Latin Americans are coming to this country because they believed in what this was. And, and by the way, Latin Americans have always been a part of this country, for better or for worse. We can talk about that another time. But some of the greatest conservatives that I know and biblical Christians I know that are Latinos. Brother Anthony is Latino, Hispanic and Native American. Do you understand? Ask him his beliefs on politics. Ask him his belief on religion. Ask him his belief on economics right? Look at Mr. Rodriguez, who spoke at the Capitol Hill not too long ago, leader of the Latin American um, Christian Coalition. Ask him what his beliefs are. Amen? As millennials, the real revolution, and I love what one of our members said, the real revolution is the Bible. That's really countercultural. You start believing this, you're going against culture. Amen? Father, we ask you to help us to be not better millennials, but better disciples in this world, to live according to your worldview, to be impacted by the doctrines of the Bible. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody says, amen.